Welcome to the show, Mr. Art Fivalent, longtime friend and a guest that I've been wanting to have and looking forward to for a lot of weeks now. So welcome to my little podcast that could. Well, thank you very much, Alan. I've been following all of your podcasts and uh, I'm a big fan of your book. Um, really believe in thank everything you. that you wrote there. And so yeah, I'm a big fan. Well, I think you called me up uh, just a few weeks after I launched that book and back in March. And I think you, your first words were uh, something along the lines of, uh, that book is me, I think you said, something like that. And I was all three types of entrepreneurs that you describe in the book. Yes. Yep. The, book, the book, of course, Quit to Start, and I have a little plug for that later. Uh, but you know what? It's really cool to get you on the show. We're both longtime Tampa Bay residents, and you know, you, I think of you as a St. Pete guy because you grew up in that area, and, I, and I'm in the Tampa area. And um, it's just a wonderful community, and we were talking about that before, the, uh, before we went live here, um, just about what a great city it is to live and grow up in. And also, we're finding it's, great, it's a great place for uh, startups. Yeah, and yeah, one of the things that I've seen over the last 30 years is that the communities have, have actually grown a lot closer together. Back in the day, St. Pete was St. Pete. It was a sleepy little residential community. Tampa was the place where business was done. And over the last 30 years, you've seen St. Pete really grow up. And Tampa and St. Pete organizations now actually cross the bridge. Ooh. And <laughs> work together, which is really not bad. during not during rush hour though. <laughs> After three PM coming back to Tampa, forget it. Forget it. Hey, by the way, and thank you for wearing uh, the same shirt, getting the matching shirt thing going today too. So talk about um, that. So I had to pick out the right shirt. Yeah, this is this is great. My first uh, my first twinning, my first twinning episode uh, yet. So uh, you know, I'm going to throw up a little starting presentation. Um, and this is the, the, the cover slide that I, I try to invent a, a clever cover slide for uh, every one of my guests, right? And this is the one I have in mind for you. It's, it's called So Many Plates, So Little Time, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I've got you listed here, as you can see, not as a serial entrepreneur, but as a multi-entrepreneur. That's the, the term I like, multi-entrepreneur or multipreneur. Oh, man, I should have wrote that multipreneur. I could have coined that. That's all right. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, but from a marketing person, I, I'm always trying to beat you to the punch on cool, you know, terms and phrases. So make sure, make sure I get credit on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so really quickly on that point, um, you know, Art, uh, just quickly off the top, uh, you know, give give uh, everybody your your personal you know, philosophy and reason reason for having like so many plates in the air at any given time. Well, uh, one of the reasons I named my main venture Squirrel Ventures is because my ability to come up with what I believe to be good problem-solving company ideas, yeah. they, just, they just kind of develop. And I also was a big domain hoarder a long time ago. And so um, I developed about seven different properties that I think would make great ventures. Obviously, it takes a lot of work to get each one of them set up, invested in, and launched. Um, but I love thinking about multiple projects all at the same time. One right. of the reasons I went out on my own was and started my own ad agency was to be able to work with different types of industries and different types of companies all the time. And it just kind of kept my mind uh, always functioning. So this is kind of a uh you know a gift or a or a, or a curse which which it's actually both but i'll tell you it, it it um it charges me up every single day i can't wait to get up and work on at least one or two of them during the course of the day yeah. uh, 
and it's fairly easy for me to switch brains from yeah. thinking about one thing or another thing. Um, plus, if you've got a good team of people associated with you who are carrying most of the weight or the water for each project, it allows me to bounce in and out back and forth to different things and kind of keep them going in the right direction. Right. And see, that's why I want to do on the show. That's fascinating. I think a lot of people are going to find that fascinating that, and we're going to get into each of these later. And I think there's six, seven, eight plus or minus, and then some other stuff on top, right? So people will be amazed about the number of things that you have going at any given time. Some of them more, more significantly than others. And, and you've got back burner things that are ready to go to the front burner and front burner things that you might move to the back burner. It's incredible. Uh, that's why I said, you got to come on my, uh, my podcast show. So we're going to get into that. But first, um, I want to hop back over and, um, and, just, and just basically, you know, talk about um, our sponsor, right? And so our sponsor is Secure Startup. This is a little company you know something about, Art. And this is an online uh, destination, online platform, uh, securestartup.com. And this is really, really the problem that Secure Startup is solving is this problem that startup founders, early stage company founders have in dealing with um, investors and, and getting their documents shared between uh, themselves and their investors in a secure way in a controlled secure way that uh, that is really simple and easy to use believe i couldn 't believe uh, how few there out there that are that are really easy to use inexpensive but are very secure um, because it 's a kind of a labyrinth of things when you 're dealing with investors in terms of all the documents that have to get signed off on and all the ones that you 're sharing to them that are very confidential and then and then the signatures back and so forth so um this is uh this is secure startups reason for being and uh and i believe they've um right now they're they're an early they're coming out of beta they're a brand new product so they're i think they're offering a lot of uh um a lot of incentives for their first their first time users right art i think you you're, you're familiar with this well yeah that's exactly right this is one of our our ventures that we're working on um and it really kind of evolved from uh, another project that I was working on, Hyperponic, that we'll talk to, there were literally hundreds of documents and 50 different investors that we were talking to and trying to keep track of which investors got what information and what they were doing with it so that we had a good uh, path and information about who got what, especially from a legal standpoint. We wanted to see if any of those potential investors were using our information for something they shouldn't be. So we were able to... Yeah manage that so secure startup got developed because of another startup that i was doing so that i could manage all of the documents and invitations to investors well, it's fantastic and uh so so and we've got i know people that are using it already and getting rave reviews so that's yeah. secure startup that's secure startup.com really simple to to remember and find and then while we're plugging things right we mentioned the book earlier i just want to show everybody the cover of the book so that's the book you referred to earlier quit to start and that's the book I put out earlier this year. And um, it actually was the impetus for this uh, podcast somehow, right? Um, and you've got a great quick to start story that we're going to get into, right? Yes, I do. That's fantastic. Um, okay, with that, I, uh, you know what I'd like to do next here, um, Art, is just kind of, uh, you know, read your bio, if you don't mind. Don't mind, you know, if you don't mind blushing on air, then I'm going to do that. Uh, so Mr. Fivalent has more than 35 years of branding, advertising, marketing, internet space, including being an early adopter of the internet, early adopter of the internet, uh, starting with his first website development company in 1994. 
that's when the internet was born, people. Uh, I was there too. Uh, most recently, he was a CEO of Ideas4, a full-service digital and traditional marketing firm based in Tampa, Florida. He's also a board member and partner in Hyperponic, a high-tech aeroponic indoor growth system currently configured to grow hemp and cannabis, right? And that's the little baby that is on its way and being very successful in your portfolio that you were sharing with me that uh, has been very good to you, um, allowing you to continue to pursue all the other little things that you like to pursue. Um, in 1996, his company was one of the very first to develop content management system websites on the web, one of the first e-commerce websites integrated into AOL. And so, you know, you were part of that big first bubble and that big first run up that uh, I was too. I was a little bit wet behind the ears, but it was a fun time leading up to 2001. And you went on to have your own ad agency and marketing agency um, that kind of uh, ultimately you were able to build websites for companies like Oracle, Microsoft, Lexmark, NCR, uh, on and on, right? So, it, and even the Florida Orange Juice uh, program, which has a massive budget always. Um, you're, a serial, you're a serial entrepreneur with a list, a long list of ventures we're going to get into, um, including something called Smiling Dog CBD Oil. That's pretty cool. Uh, and uh, and so, and you've got a few other back burner projects. So that's a little bit about 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 art and. Um, Anything you want to kind of comment on that before we dive in a little bit uh, into your backstory? No, but every time people hear this story, they're like, how do you do this? Where do you <laughs> I've heard both sides. I've, I've heard from investors that say you have to focus on one thing. Yeah. From a lot of other people that say, yeah, why, why not? Why not work on a couple of things at the same time? So it's been an interesting uh, feedback loop from all the people that I talk to. Yeah, exactly. What matters is what what works for for you, right? And uh, you know, when you were different points in your our career, I think it makes more sense to to do to do more at one time, right? Uh, for sure, uh, as a young person, you know, the focus on something makes arguably makes a lot of sense, like you did early in your early career, right? But uh, at some point, uh, you realize that you're able to. Um, you know, get certain things going that doesn't necessarily need all of you. And you're able to get a lot of different things moving at one time. And so wouldn't you agree that it's a little bit sometimes a stage in life that we're in? Yeah. In fact, I was talking to somebody the other day about most of my life till I was in my probably mid forties, my, I, I focused on advertising. It's what I love to do. I enjoyed it, but I was also a pleaser, whether it be a boss or a client or something yeah. else. So one day I just woke up and said, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to please myself and I'm going to do what I like, what I want to do. And I don't care what other people say or whether they think I'm crazy or not. This is what I'm destined to do and I'm going to go do it. And so that's what I've done. Isn't yeah. that kind of the, that's the kind of the essence a little, there's, it's funny about entrepreneurship. There's kind of like two kind of lanes and they kind of go together sometimes, but there's the lane of be your own boss motivation, right? That's like, you know, I've got to be my own boss. I've got to do my own thing. And that's, and that can lead, that can stay small or that can go, that can go big. Right. And then right. there's that other lane that says, uh, you know, I'm just, I just want to, uh, create, you know, wealth and success. Maybe you could say, right. Like I'm driven for wealth and success or I'm driven to, to be my own boss. Sometimes they go together. Sometimes they don't. And, uh, I yeah. probably, yeah. The third one that I would add, which is really kind of what I'm focused on is actually to, put a ripple in the universe, right? Mm. Things that change people's lives for the better. And that's 
broad category of different things. And when we talk about the individual ventures that I'm working on, you'll see my brain works as problem solving um, with the ultimate goal, interestingly enough, is to help dogs. So, okay. Get into that. Let's get into that too. Right. Yeah. So, so, all right, let's jump back here. So you, you, you don't know this. I've never shared this with you, but I grew up in the Jacksonville area, Jacksonville, Florida, right? I spent my summer there. With, yeah, and, and I was born in you know Savannah, Georgia, but ultimately my family we ended up in the Jacksonville area, not not in core Jacksonville, but more out into the uh, into the country actually, and um, and so when I saw that you know when you sent me your bio last week, I've known you for so many forever, decade. I didn't until I never looked close enough to see that your grandfather right uh, isn't was from Jacksonville area, right? Both my grandparents were from Jacksonville. They lived in town, and also had a house out on the beach on the Atlantic. Yeah, by the way, that how beautiful is that little part? The first coast of Florida. I grew up over there, you know, the St. Augustine, the whole first coast. People can't believe the A1A that runs right along the water there. It's incredible. So, but that was where some entrepreneurship started in your in your uh kind of in the blood, in the DNA. Well, my I didn't even realize it until literally a couple of weeks ago when we started talking about this is is, is it in your DNA? Is it in your bloodstream? And I remember my grandmother talking about her father who used to sell fruits and vegetables along the streets of Jacksonville back in the very early 1900s. And he had his own little company. He had a cart with a horse named Baby and he would walk around the neighborhoods and he would sell fruits and vegetables. So he was kind of the first one that I knew of that was an entrepreneur. And then yeah. my father graduates from law school at the university of florida he also played on the basketball team there i still have his as a picture is that where you, is that where you get your height <laughs> i'm not that tall and neither <laughs> would me back then you didn't have to be that tall uh, okay he was a pretty good shooter then but you know he graduated from law school and he went right into practice for himself he didn't go work for a law firm he didn't do the typical kind of corporate thing he just went right to work for himself my dad, same story. My dad worked for his father for a number of years, and then he went out on his own. And as I'm adding all this up, when I'm sending you the information, I realized, wow, this really is in my DNA. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And, you know, probably for a lot of your career, you knew something was when you were working for others, you probably always knew something was off or something was wrong, I'm guessing. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Even when I was in college and I was taking classes in marketing and advertising at school, I started an advertising agency while I was in Gainesville. So yeah. I knew that I was going to go run my own thing at some point in the future. Uh, I was naive as could be, but I started it anyway. Luckily, I was too stupid to know any better and did it anyway. <laughs> Let's use that as a theme throughout the whole storyline. How about that? Right? It's it's a good thing, right? It's it, it, you know what we don't know uh, um, can and can't hurt us. Sometimes it it can be uh, the unlocking mechanism to doing interesting things. We'll be you know not knowing what what is around that corner. Now jumping through your story a little bit, I know you went to Atlanta for a period to get your chops in the marketing agency world, and you really worked your marketing you know got your marketing skill set up probably in your twenties. I'm guessing, but you ultimately came back to Gainesville, where the University of Florida is, and. Uh, that's where you opened an ad, your ad, an ad agency, am I right? I actually started it before I went to Atlanta. Okay. And when I went to Atlanta, I worked up there for a while. And uh, I actually didn't graduate initially from the University of Florida, but I thought I was so smart I could go up there and work for agencies. I yeah. got a job 
pretty quickly up there and I was writing commercials and acting and doing advertising and all that kind of stuff. I was living the life, dude. It was really fun. <laughs> as I wanted to work my way up through the ladder, um, I've got a lot of family in New York and the New York ad agencies was the place to be, right? Working mm -hmm. for Dan Birnbach, working for one of these other big firms. And uh, because I didn't have a degree, nobody, none of the big agencies in Atlanta would hire me. They said, hey, we've got at the time they called them secretaries, but administrative staff that have master's degrees. So, and also it's, you know, we won't hire you because you started something you didn't finish. Mm. So you need to go finish that and then start your path. And that's exactly what I did. I left Atlanta, eventually came back to St. Pete. I worked for a little agency in St. Pete and I drove back and forth to USF almost every day, changing my clothes, going across the bridge. I wore a suit in the morning and I wore jeans in the afternoon. <laughs> I went back and forth and I never, never told my mother that I was changing my clothes while I was driving my car. She'd have killed me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, of course. And that bridge, that's a long bridge. So I can see why, you know, you could, you could totally do it. Um, did you, did you want to tell, like, before we get into your big start that you that you had on your, your dining room table start that's coming up here. I thought there was a really cool story about the dog groomer in Gainesville. I love oh, yeah. that story. Yeah, yeah one great. of your first clients, your first one of your first clients up there before you came back to St. Petersburg. Yep. Yep. So um I, I I've always been into animals. It's been one of the things that's been part of my life for a very long time. Um and I made friends with this dog groomer woman who was working for another firm and she started her own company. She started her own dog groomer and she called me up and said, will you help me market my company? But I don't have any money. Um, so we sat around one evening and I came up with the idea of going down to um, the county courthouse and getting all the records of people that had registered their pets. So we got that list, you know, back in the day you couldn't, there was no internet. So we got a paper list and we I mean, had sneaker, sneaker net, sneaker net. Exactly right. We started filling out postcards with everybody's name and address and stuff and sent all those postcards out to everybody that had uh, a pet. And within a couple of weeks, she was completely full and she didn't mm. need marketing anymore. She had she had successfully launched. <laughs> wow. Your first lead generation, your first lead gen uh, program. Right. Put yourself out of a client. I did. I did. <laughs> I'm proud of that, though. Yeah, of course. Of course you are. That's what you that's that's what anybody would would want uh, as a badge of honor. So you, you, I had to get that story out of you before you came to you. You're, now you're in St. Pete, Tampa Bay. You've, you're working for someone else. You're changing clothes across the bridge and so forth. But then one day you kind of just you hit a tipping point and you I think you had to sit down with your wife. Right. I think that's how this goes. A few years later after that, I finished my degrees at USF. Mm hmm. Started working for, continued working for that little agency, but I wanted to go work for Benito or Enslin and Hall, mm -hmm. that were the ones in town. Um, I had been chasing Duke Miller at Benito for about eight months to give me a job, and finally I got a job there. I stayed there for a little while. I, I had kind of an independent streak, and I ended up talking back to my boss about a project we were working on. It's a fun story, but I won't go into too much detail. <laughs> a few days later, I got fired from that job. Uh, okay. Back to the guy. Um, luckily, Enslin and Hall hired me the next week. I stayed there for four years. I ran their healthcare, real estate division, their new business division. I was the youngest account supervisor they'd ever had. And I was ready to go on to the next thing. And I wanted to start my own company there. But I got talked into 
which turned out to be a good thing, going to work for Frank Morsani and the advertising agency that he had for his car dealerships. And I was there for a couple of years. And that's when I decided cars are not the place that I want to be. That's when I went and sat down with my wife and said, oh, by the way, I quit my job and I'm starting my own company. <laughs> While she's pregnant and we're renovating a house in uh. South <laughs> so it was, it was a bad time to do it let me tell you hey my first quit my first quit i talk about my book um i had my first i had just moved in my first starter home with my young wife my late 20s my first home and i had a one or two month first born baby daughter like my brand new baby brand new home and I came home one day with that same statement, uh, honey, instead of honey, I shrunk the kids, honey, <laughs> I quit my job. Um, so, so, uh, okay. That, and by the way, I want to point out, uh, you know, this, this video podcast we're doing now, this kind of came to be, uh, kind of quickly for something that I'm, ex I'm enjoying, but it wasn't planned the, exactly how I imagined. See, I was imagining I was going to do a podcast called quit stories where we would just zero in on all the things that, that went in directly into this lane. So what I want to do is have you come back when I launch my parallel podcast called okay. Quit Stories, and it's going to be more intense, you know, oh, more intimate intense. We're just kind of skimming the surface. Yeah, we're just going to skim it right now. We're not going to, yeah, we're not going to make anybody cry. I'm not going to make you, you know, get emotional. But uh, so, <laughs> so, okay. so you had a very, your wife was very supportive. She was. She didn't have yeah. much. She really didn't. I mean, she knew that that's where my my total passion was, that I wanted to start my own company. I'd talked about it for a really long time. Um, and the day, the day came where things were going on at the agency that weren't working out well for me. I said, forget it. I'm leaving. I'm going to go start my own thing. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I had run all the new business for Enslin and Hall for a couple of years. So I knew how to make sales calls. I knew how to pick up the phone and talk to people. And it was pretty easy. Once I got set up at home a couple of days later, within a couple of days, I had my first pretty big client. Right. So it didn't take long for me to get off the ground. Got off the ground, but it, it, it might've taken a little longer than that to get your income, you know, back to where it was. Oh, depending on how deep you want to go into this story. Uh, this was a big real estate development in Zephyr Hills. And uh, I was tasked with doing all of their marketing, their advertising, their brochures and everything else. Uh, mm -hmm. it, was a, it was, in my opinion, a pretty good campaign. We'd finished everything. I delivered the brochures to him. The guy owed me about $6,000. Uh, and I would call him and he wouldn't take my calls. And I would go out to see him and he wouldn't be there. And he ended up not paying his bill. So my very first client that I was happy to have ended up... Um, not paying. Sniffing me was probably and, the safest word I can use here out of that money. So that was a huge lesson right off the bat. That was and that's gro that was grocery money. Oh, it was everything money. It was mortgage money, grocery money, baby money, you name it. So uh, let's let's slow down a little bit because I want to hear this. So so you how did you a survive that, and and what do you remember from that period, and how did you how did you pull through that? A couple things. Uh, it wasn't my only client, so I had a couple of other things going on where I had some mm -hmm. income. And I was grateful enough to the printer who actually kind of felt, felt sorry for me for what happened. And they ended up discounting the bill significantly, and I was able mm -hmm. to off uh, 
without having to pay off the whole 6,000. So they were great to me. And I wow. ended up with them for years because they mm. helped me get through this first big hump. You know, that's funny. That's That's been a theme with a few of my guests around um, when they were starting uh, in their very formative months, if you will. Uh, Joe talked about it a few weeks ago, how the, the, the difference it made for the generosity of certain people, the generosity of certain people right there in the early stage that, that saw the, the will and drive of a young person pursuing, you know, entrepreneurship and, but in a tight spot and yep. saw something in them and wanted to help and support and did things like this, uh, where they would, uh, you know, do what they could, you know, without, you know, do what they could to re- take a little bit of pressure off. Well, you know, it's, not many startup entrepreneurs have all the money that they need and the brains that they need to go from start to finish to exit mm-hmm. uh, without the help of other people. Yeah. And you need vendors and partners and friends and things. It, it is a village thing. Yeah. Uh, get one of these off the ground. It's yeah. Really almost impossible to do it by yourself. Yeah. Really possible. No, then. That's a big message that's going to go into the show notes for sure. That piece right there about it does take a village and, and you do need um, you need support and not just from friends and family. But this what's interesting here, this theme that clients and, you know, supplier clients that you're, you're on the other side, they you need you need there might be times when you need their support, when they can be uh, give you more grace on something that that uh, maybe you owe them or someone who. Um, can give you something that you don't really deserve per se, like a new account that's probably too big for you or that's over, but you get it because they see something in you, right? There's a lot of little things like that that happen early. That's, that's what happened, I think about six months or a year in, um, I landed the VisionWorks account and it was yeah. me working out of my house. Yeah. And there was no reason for them to hire somebody like me to go do their stuff, but they saw, they saw the, what capabilities we had and we ran that thing for a couple of years and it was mm. really, really fun to do. But I mean, that that one account really put me on the map in terms of a little agency that got a big client. That was the, that, that kind of thing made the difference. Right. And you, you went on to win a few other big accounts in the area. Yeah. Yep. Um, Transitions Optical, Florida's mm-hmm. National Energy, as we mentioned, Florida Progress, Florida Power, Jable Circuit. We were doing all the big companies in this market when we started on the website yeah so so this whole you know you got you got lift and you started taking off in all these wonderful accounts and projects and and you had team you had a team and all that great stuff you can skip whatever parts you want to skip but i know there was this point coming up where you sold you 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 you, you sold the business and so i want to know why you did that and what was the um what was the benefit what what came of that it made me an offer I couldn't refuse. <laughs> All right. When I, got, okay. when I got the internet company up to a point, actually hosting at that time was a big deal. Yes. It's not like it is today where it's basically yeah. a commodity. You know, and yeah. Amazon, you can get a web site hosted for five bucks. I mean, it was the servers were right in the office buildings, and that was the main revenue generator for, for internet companies. And I had a lot of clients and I had a lot of hosting income and the hosting company that was doing it and one of their investors decided that they just wanted to buy my whole company. So that's what they did. And um, so you, you took happy. that? I was ready to take a year off. 
Right. So you did, you took, you, you did, you, you put some money in the bank and you took a year off and uh, what'd you do with that year? Wasted all the money. <laughs> of course you did. Did you go anywhere interesting? Did you go anywhere interesting that you remember? Or? I've been all over the place. Uh, yeah. Mexico, the Caribbean. I learned how to scuba dive, you know, all kinds Got it. of stuff. Okay. Um, it was a really, it was a fun learning year, growing up year. I got a big question for you. Go ahead. Well, no, that was the, that was the question. Like looking back now, do you wish, this sounds like a loaded question, but it's worth asking. Do you wish you'd done something different with that year and with that money? Now on, I know on the surface, yes, but I want to hear your answer. Yeah. I would say probably no. I mean, I, I look back on almost everything that I did with the exception of one or two things. I wouldn't have done it any other way. Oh, that's beautiful. That break, I needed the time to go, you know, recharge my brain. I needed to get away for a while just to decide what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Right. I couldn't wow. jump right into something else because it would have consumed me. And I needed the time just to literally lay on the beach and drink beer and tequila until I figured out what I was going to be when I grew up. I'm glad that came out. That's another thing that I want to be in this interview as a key thing is um, a couple of things are baked in and packed into that. Number one, owning a business, running a business is more than exhausting. It, it's it's something that when you do are able to detach by selling it or, or whatever, you absolutely need a, a, a detox. De you've got to figure out like, you've got to completely uh, find out who you are and, and what, what, what your identity and purpose in life is even, you know, it's, it's incredible, right? I, I see this a lot. But let me jump in here because one of the things I used to do is play golf, right? Mm -hmm. or weekend off. But the way my brain works, if I've got a business that I'm operating, going out and playing golf for four hours doesn't change my mental trajectory. It gives me a break and, you know, I throw golf clubs and hit balls into the water and stuff, but I come back to the same thing. I needed mm -hmm. a, disconnection away from a company away from a mission and a goal so that i could literally rethink what i was doing so i i could talk all day about that the agreement i have with you about the golf thing because i had a bad a bit of a golf uh, addiction habit for a long time and same thing i would say is that it did a great job of clearing my mind temporarily it did a great job of that but you're right it wouldn't it wouldn't help me solve my big problems because you need contemplative re re reflection time and you need like bigger bigger spaces wide open you need and not to mention all the frustration that goes with golf it's just it's just <laughs> in the business i mean sometimes i would backfire completely like i'm gonna go play golf to clear my head and feel better come back and be angrier than i was when i left right but but i but i love this turning point in the story because you you up to this point you've been to your point a pleaser someone who was out doing projects consulting projects services projects making clients happy you know right when you came out of this year off um this was a different mindset you you came back with it, it was. It was kind of balanced in between it's all about me to uh, being a service-oriented person because I really wanted to get back into the business that I was in, doing websites and doing marketing and advertising. The previous company was just websites. So mm -hmm. I brought my advertising experience back into it and opened Ideas 4, which was a balance between digital and traditional kind of advertising and marketing. So it was all about what I wanted to do, but also if you're going to run a company, you have to please your customers. And everything that I've done is all about pleasing customers, right? So yeah. that's, that's an important part. If you're ever going to succeed, if you don't do that well, you're never going to make it. Correct. 
but I did it the way I wanted. I did the company yeah. the way I wanted. And um, my one of the things that uh, was frustrating to me in the companies I'd worked for before is how long it took to get something done. If a mm -hmm. client wants a piece of copy changed or a picture change, it might take a week at a big agency to do something like that. And I, part of my commitment is I'm going to turn that around quickly for you because you're in a hurry. I'm in a hurry. Everybody's got something else to do. Yeah. I'm going to stop what I'm doing, make that fix and get it off to you. And that's kind of, yeah. been, you know, my whole theme one has been, would you like fries with that? Because it's been a lot of drive through changes. Yeah. That's one of the things that has kept a bunch of my clients around for years and years. because I turn stuff around so quickly for them. So when, so when did the opportunity uh, point come where you could start adding something to your to your life that wasn't pleasing clients? When did this happen? When did that happen? When did the beginning of these spinning plates begin? Uh, probably about ten years ago, uh, mm -hmm. I was sitting at Gandhi and Manhattan, looking mm -hmm. for something for lunch. And there's a Kentucky Fried Chicken, a Taco Bell, a Wendy's, a McDonald's, Burger King. And I said, there is not a damn healthy thing to eat around here at all. And so I started, uh, I had done some stuff in the restaurant business. And I knew the two biggest, most profitable things are French fries and drinks, right? So opening up a French fry restaurant didn't seem like a very healthy thing to do. So I started thinking about a drinks only type restaurant. And that's one of the ones that, it, it's going to take a lot of money to build that, and it's going to take an, an unbelievable amount of risk of losing money to open a restaurant. So it's been developed. The concept is done. The business plan is done. The numbers work, all of that kind of stuff. But it's been sitting there for almost 10 years waiting for the right opportunity to, to bring it out. Yeah. Since that time, I, I got the bug. I said, I've got to do other stuff. Um, and then the idea of iGrew popped up when my daughter was about seven years old. And then the rest of them just kind of started coming out. So, so let me ask you this. So, you know, you, you started, you started creating and spawning new venture opportunities, either whether they were on a notepad yet or whatever, but they weren't service. They weren't, they weren't necessarily, they weren't going to be services companies like you were used to. They were going to be productized um, the type of companies and entities you could build that would be, um, you know, they would have great value, right? Yeah. You started collecting these. There were a couple things about it. One, you know, I have, I had always been in a business where I produced a product, I got paid, then mm -hmm. I had to start all over again. I yeah. produced another product, I got paid. I had to change my mindset away from that kind of execution where you're never going to make any traction and scale to doing something that has recurring revenue, has a business model where customers can rebuy the same product over and over again. And that's where my mind started getting into all of these kinds of things where all of the businesses that you will see that we're working on are all around that model, recurring yeah. revenue and a consistent ability to scale. If yeah. That, no, that's that's huge. No, that's it. Uh, that's that's it. Now, there's a funny part, fun part to this story too, and that is, uh, um, how many domains do you own, uh, Art? Right now, I, I don't own as many as I used to, but I, I used to own about sixteen hundred of them. Sixteen hundred. Now, okay, some really good ones dropped, and I've been able to buy and sell lots of 
them over the years. So these were all fundamentally, all of them mostly for the most part were business ideas that you, that the best way to capture a business idea is to go get that domain, Am I, right? Uh, it was a combination of two things. Great names would pop up and I would buy them with no interest in doing anything with them, like usshrimp.com. There would be no way that I'd be starting a shrimp company. That wasn't uh, but the domain I grew actually came through a particular drop system that I got. And I said, this is perfect for what I wanted to do for my daughter. So I bought that. Yeah. Um, How many of them, what percentage of them are actual, would you say were placeholder for potential business ideas? Probably 10 or 12. Yeah, that you would do, but then a bunch of more that other people could. Yeah, absolutely, a lot of brandable names. Yeah, things. Um, yeah. Some that were really just fun to own, like um, Bubblegum Cigar. You know, <laughs> it's crazy stuff. Um, I like that. I remember. I I used to. I don't know if a lot of the young people know this, but there was a period where we the, the domain purchasing thing was a massive obsession that not everybody had, but like a lot of us did have, and and you felt. For you know, for eight dollars, you could own like a awesome piece of real estate, right? And it, and fundamentally, it was true for a lot of them, but for a lot of them, not true. It's just it was it was a big grab bag of things, right? And I I own fifteen, sixteen hundred of them, and you're paying eight to twelve dollars a year to renew them. It gets to be pretty pricey. Yeah, it does. Got to find a way to sell some of those just to pay for your addiction. Yeah, yeah, it's it is hoarding, hoarding, hoarding starts to come into play. Exactly what it was. Yeah. But what's cool about it, though, is you do end up, like you said, you know, 10, 10% of those or 10 to 20% of those or something along those way are really sitting there um, as potential business starts for yourself. Yeah. In fact, I, I was able to use that really as these names would come flying by me during the course of a day and say, I would, something would hit on me and I would say, that would be an interesting business idea. And I'd spend a little time thinking about if it was scalable. And, and looking into the various industries that were out there as to whether there was any competitors. And some cases there were, in some cases there weren't, but I would save that domain just in case someday in the future I might want to develop it. And some yeah. of them were crazy. Some of them were absolutely crazy. That's great. <laughs> but uh, I started collecting domains related to my dog passion, right? Uh, Pitbull primarily. So I've got yeah. a Pitbull and dog related domain. You've got you've got all these domains, okay. So now I think is a good time for you to kind of like let's list off all of the active ventures that you're a part of today. Let's go ahead and do it. I'm gonna have to go pull my list up. <laughs> you got to do this off of you got to do this off the top of your head. Uh, okay, so I grew is in development right now. It's going to pre-launch, I'd say, in the fall. Tell us what I grew does. What is it? I grew is a secure parent portal for them to save and share their child's life story over time. One of the things that people are getting very paranoid about is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, stealing their personal data, using it for their own purposes or selling it to third parties, which they do a lot. And when you're dealing with children and you want to collect your children's life story, you don't want any of them getting their, your child's data or your data for that matter. Right. I grew is totally focused around security and we've got all kinds of really cool functions that are going to be in it. Um, that would be for another day, but it's going to be a pretty sophisticated, uh, social media networking, um, place for parents to save and share their kid's life story. 
You're right, because, you know, funny, I, it's true. Our social media, as great as it is, it's all um, very transient, very uh, fleeting, and, and just um, uh, is here today, gone tomorrow. All the pictures and all the things that are, you know, we just don't, Right. And, you know, Snapchat is a personification like a uh, of that, right? Snapchat literally came to be to be disposable, right? So if you think about it, um, all of this wonderful sharing that we're doing is fundamentally today disposable. Uh, and I don't think any, I don't think everybody quite realizes that and wishes. I, I know it's going to be one of the favorite things that people are going to say 20 years from now is I wish I still had, you know, the stuff I was doing in social media exactly. 20 years ago. I wish I still had it. Exactly. You're exactly right. And that's why this thing exists. It's, you know, they, there's an old marketing adage that when everybody is talking about diets, the thing that sells the best is really rich chocolates and ice creams. Or, or the opposite is true, too. So when you see a disposable culture, you know there's going to be a demand for something on the other side of that. Because mm. the pendulum will swing back and forth. Man, right? that's huge. That's huge. I love yeah. it. So what's, uh, what's next? What's next? Um, so I'm going to come down here to my list. I've got a secure startup is another one we talked about. Of course, yeah, we talked about secure startup. I've got one called VenCal, which is a calendar program that okay. I won't get too much detail about it, but it's pretty darn cool. All right. I've got uh, Johnny Straws, which is the restaurant concept, the double drive-through drinks yep. restaurant. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. one. Um, I've got one called Check My Pets which is a place where parents can register their pets and themselves on a site and have a surrogate person identified as who to contact if something bad happens to them. Yep. Be contacted and, and take care of their pets. Yep. Um, I've got Smiling Dog CBD, which is up and going. It's uh, <laughs> CBD comes from our grow from Hyperponic in Asheville. So mm -hmm. we use our own CBD oil for our pets. And I give it to my dog every single day. And um, she's a... Uh, it's a happy dog. She's a very happy dog. <laughs> right. Uh, so what about redneck jobs? Redneck jobs, again, as a problem-solving venture. You've got the trades. You've got blue-collar workers. You've got essential workers. There aren't any sites out there that cater to just that market. And we're talking about tens of millions of people that work really hard, have almost difficult, a lot of them difficult jobs to do, whether they be in nursing or trucking or retail. Um, I use kind of the redneck jobs as kind of a fun tongue in cheek right. kind of word to use to get attention. But there is no one that out there that's out there that caters to that particular marketplace. It's, I call it the micro market, right? Yeah. From, micro dirty jobs. Yep. Yep. It's all of the people that he is uh, a hero to who don't have a place to go to look for a position. They've got to jump around a whole bunch of different places. So now I've done you a big favor by announcing to the world your big next big business idea that you haven't built or launched. And so now, uh, you know, now you've got to do it before somebody else does it. Well, we're actually <laughs> working on it. Okay, good. All right. Well, they won't have the name Redneck Jobs. At least we know that. That's true. And okay. we'll have version 1.0 up sometime this summer. That's probably the thing that I was trying to remember earlier. So, so all right, we could go on down the list, and you've got these other back burner things. It seems like when I talk to you, you, you kind of tell me about one another black back burner item that you might have. Yep. So before we before we kind of get and transition into your your kind of ripple in the universe and what you do now from a uh, from a 
from a philanthropy perspective, um, how, like what kind of advice or thoughts do you have around, you know, folks that want to start in a way, you're almost like a side hustler in a way, right? Because you've got your, you've got your consulting business. You've always had, and a lot of these things you've been building and launching with, with other people and partners with extra money that you have. And, and you, it's it, it, so, so in a way, you, this translates a lot. I didn't really thought of this before, but this 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 translates a lot to what what a side hustle start could be. So, what kind of advice um, would you give in, in in terms of a should other people do something along the lines of what you're doing, and b you know how do they balance it all? Um, well, let me kind of give you my philosophy of all of this, yeah. and people can kind of follow that. Obviously, you can't run off and do six different ventures at the same time unless you've got some kind of base of income that you can rely upon so that you can spend your time focused on things that aren't making any money, right? With the whole idea is to create building blocks of multiple income streams over time to make that happen. Um, I've never been one who wants to take a company and run it all the way to exit. Mm -hmm. I want to participate in it. I want to help it grow, but I don't want to run the company. Um, so for iGroup, for example, we're looking for a, a CEO to run that company. And we've got the team to build it right now. So they're working on that. So with those people, I can then take some of my additional time that I'm not focused on that and spend it on something else. But the whole goal of these is to build one right after the other with a team of people who run that company. And I move on to the next one. Right. I'm not, okay. I'm not a guy like uh, Elon Musk, who's, <laughs> but he does it the same way. You know, he's got an unlimited supply of money. He comes up with right. a car and then he does a rocket and then he does a satellite. And the next thing you know, he's sending people to space like Richard Branson. So and you've got some baseline, you've got some baseline income streams that allow you to yeah. pursue these, th these things. Right. So that's the number. First of all, that's your first big piece of advice is to, you know, make sure you, you cover those bases. Right. True. You know, one of the things too, about me that those who know me understand that it's never really been about the money. It's been about the, the venture. It's been about the problem solving. It's been about doing good work and developing a good product, knowing that the money at some point will come. Right. So I, I live fairly simply and I've got enough money that lets me do pretty much whatever I want to do so that I can go pursue these other ventures. You know, right. ideas or as revenue, another venture that I'm involved in, hydroponic generates some revenue. So that gives me enough going on where I can then focus on these other things. Right. Lucky that way. That's huge. That's huge. Again, that's why even I've never, even to this very moment, I never thought of you in terms of the side hustle component, but I think your story will be translating out there for people who watch this that are in jobs. That's the, that's the income stream that they have, yeah. but they could be doing a lot of the things that you're doing on the side, especially when you're, when the things that you're creating, you're, it, it's, it's, uh, they don't, they're not services businesses, so they don't require you to go all in on them. You're able, you're, you're building and creating things that you can get other people to help you build and create right. that frankly, you know, you can't do by yourself anyway. So it's almost self architected to That's allow good. you to stay prioritized. Some people want to build a business and, and be in charge of it and run it all the way up the flagpole to exit. And God bless them for wanting to do that. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's a, an incredible skill set that's required uh, to do that kind of thing. And you got to really respect those people that want to do that. But that's not where my mind works. Um, I've been very lucky in that when I'm working on my marketing stuff, I can finish my work fairly early in the day. 
uh, or fill in things as it's not a full-time job, but I can make enough money doing little bits and projects here and there to support my addictions. Yeah. And then you've got a little bit of passive addiction there. And then you've got some passive income along built into that as well. So it's a good thing. And then now you just need a couple big pops to uh, send you back to the Caribbean uh, and, and wrap and wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> this time next year, we may have two of them in 2021. Yeah. Well, you know, Beautiful. Uh, Hyperponic is doing really well. It's growing like crazy, pun intended. Um, we're in four different states right now. We're going to be adding different states where we just filed for patents in the EU uh, mm-hmm. for all European countries to start going over there. So that's going to be a really big deal. That's uh, great. Yeah. Our whole goal of this is to get it built and then and then exit. So that'll happen probably sometime next year. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so let's 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 get to this final piece about this ripple in the universe and the things that you've considered passion projects and your contribution to society. Um, let's, sure. Yeah, break that down. Okay. Um, about ten or twelve years ago, I got involved with dog rescue. Um, my ex Lisa was a, wanted to be a photographer. She wanted to photograph animals, pets especially. We got connected to pit bulls. Um, uh, somebody in New York had seen her photography said, I'm going to, I wanted to fly down and fo- get photographed with some pit bulls, but you got to go find me one. So, uh, we went around and found this dog at pet pal animal rescue in St. Pete. His name was Brock, an awesome dog. Uh, we didn't know anything about pit bulls, but after we did the photo shoot and went back to the house, the woman, uh, Nicole Rivera said, you guys need to go adopt this dog. So we did, and he turned out to be the sweetest, gentlest, most awesome animal in the whole world. And the more we read about how awfully these dogs were treated, we decided to make that our passion. And we started a dog rescue. And we advocated for um, the animals, for pit bulls. We met pit bull advocates from all over the country and some of them around the world. Um, And then finally, when the whole Michael Vick story broke of him doing uh, dog fighting and the dogs that he killed. And uh, they put a pit bull on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That's when it really changed the mm. trajectory of the animals. Um, but I see through animal control and all the rescues, there's way too many dogs and not enough people. So there are things that I want to advocate for, like spay-neuter, that would keep the populations down. But I also want to build a thing called Rescue Hearts Village which is a refuge for big animals. There's mm-hmm. a place short of some, some place out in, uh, in Utah where called Best Friends. They build an amazing facility where large dogs um, can find homes rather than be killed. And it'll have mm-hmm. a training facility and, and all kinds of things there that, that will, for me, change the trajectory of an awful lot of animals' lives. And I will advocate once one or two of these companies pops and I've got the money to do it, I'm going to advocate in a very serious and expensive way to try to get the county in Pinellas and Hillsborough to change their laws to mandate spay-neuter to keep the populations. Right, right, right. nothing worse in the world than watching a dog get euthanized. Nothing worse in the world. And I think everyone who owns an animal should see that once to understand what happens with these with these dogs? Yeah. Hundreds, yeah. hundreds of them a day 
just piled mm. up as big as this. Terrible. Room. It's terrible. It's like, uh, um, they're, that's not, they deserve, they deserve better than that. That's not a, that's just, um, that's, that's like, uh, mankind, womankind at our worst, isn't it? In a way it's, uh, it's kind of a disposable gets back to that disposable society and that this one that's this one is though is hidden away where we don't get to see it. So it doesn't seem like it's real. So the whole campaign, um, I've got a couple of other domains that I've got, you know, one of the campaigns mm -hmm. is to be a better breed of human, right? Wow. Try to get people to think mm -hmm. about these animals having souls and lives and, you know, more value than you're allowing them to have. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, I'd never heard you explain to me like that. And uh, it's quite a little bit of a moving message, a little bit emotional. So I think um, it's pretty powerful the way you, way you describe that. So this, this, this facility would actually would be large and it would not just be for dogs. It sounds like you would want other large animals. Like what are some other examples of pets that would be? A zoo. It's going to be. A zoo. It would be a zoo. <laughs> it's really going to be for, for dogs. And most okay. You go through the shelter, 85% of the dogs are pit bulls. Okay. Um, but one of the things I want to do around it, like they've done around equestrian facilities, we mm. build this center for for canines that there's no reason that um, apartment complexes and condominiums in that same general vicinity, retail, single family homes, where the HOA actually allows large animals. Yeah. You can have a big dog in an apartment. You can have a big dog at a condo. There aren't any places anywhere, almost in the United States, where that's permitted. If your dog weighs more than five pounds, yeah, get it. And that's one of the big problems: is people can't adopt big dogs because they can't keep them at their house. Right. So that's all part of the process. It's a whole village. It's a vet mm. clinic. It's Got it. Stores, it's retail. It's it's everything. So what are the chances of you getting this together? And, uh, you know, do you just, are you looking for the right, um, f you know, kind of funding along with the uh, municipal cooperation interest? It's going to be one of those things I have to fund myself, I think. Yeah. Um, the important part is finding someone that owns some land that wants to donate the part for the animal refuge. Yeah. But they can take on the, the real estate part of the condominiums and the apartments and the retail and the single family homes that surround it. Yeah. And if, if it's out in an area where Hillsboro, Pasco and Polk County kind of meet mm -hmm. where that land probably wouldn't be developed for 50 years, yeah. uh, we could actually build a, a destination out there for, um, for these animals and for the landowner. They donate a little bit of land to us. We put a couple million dollars into some buildings and getting the facility. Yep. Um, we could actually turn it into something. Well, I think it's great. I think, you know, this is entrepreneurship also, right? This is, you know, this is, uh, it's going to require people and money and commitment and uh, sustainability. Um, but I think one of the cool things about the story for folks watching is that, you know, that's also one of the neat things about entrepreneurship and building um, your own business in life is that, you have time later, it's the right time to not only the time to work on something like this, but you also have the available extra funds to help it get it going. And that's something that working, again, working for someone in the job 
isn't usually on the table. People in jobs get to volunteer. They get to volunteer for things and they get to be a part of charity and do a lot of a lot of really cool philanthropic things and maybe give a little money, a few thousand dollars here and there. That's the normal employee life that we get to lead. And that's really, really good, really good stuff. But but when you've been able to step out and be a, a business owner or multiple business owner in your case and be a, a, an entrepreneur and accumulate Ex, extra time and potentially extra extra funds, uh, then you're able to go do something like this, or you know something a little bigger and a, and a little more impactful to making a like you said a ripple in the universe. Well, you know it's it's not just building a business and flipping it. There's got to be a legacy you leave behind. You've yeah. got to do something that says this person actually did something, either for people, for animals, for whatever their passion is. They need to be able to do that. And all of these projects, whether it's iGrew or Hyperponic that I'm involved in or any of the rest of them, are really the means to the end. Right. Getting these businesses and flipping them are great. And hopefully we'll make a lot of money doing that. But the money then creates an opportunity to do something good in the world, which yeah. is really, that's really what the plan is. Well, Art, that's the perfect place to end this interview, enter this our, our conversation. What a really cool way to end it, too. Really inspirational point there. And I think a lot of people will be like, wow, um, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by Art. And whether they believe their issue is, you know, <clears throat> uh, dog rescue, which is I think most people support. But I think that's, you've, A, you put some extra light on it. But B, I think you just inspire people to go, hey, what's my... What's something that I could go out and put a ripple in the universe on and and uh, and be be like art? You know, how can I, you know, be like Mike, but no, be like art. That's that's what we're talking about. <laughs> be like art. I think that would be great. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so, all right, let's let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for for being on uh, this little podcast and uh, and being a big, a big supporter of mine and everything I'm doing with it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and Thank I look you. forward. I really appreciate it. And sharing all my stories and stuff. It's been a really fun experience. And yeah, if you ever want me back to talk about something else, I'm happy. To oh yeah. Well, well, don't forget we've, I've got my quit story, <laughs> my quit story, deep dive <laughs> podcast out there. So yeah, I'm glad we held a lot of firepower back for that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Whatever all right. Like. So, Hey, be well, and I'll catch you next time. Thanks. Thank you.